0: On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll recap my trip to New York City for the NBA draft, then discuss free agency. The Pacers were quiet on day one, then checked off a few key items, among them dealing Malcolm Brogdon to the Boston Celtics. So I'll be joined by Jared Weiss of The Athletic in Boston to discuss. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Well, it's been an adventurous and active last 10 days or so. The NBA just does not stop. We go from one thing to the next, from the finals to the draft to NBA free agency, Summer League, not the main one in Las Vegas, but a Summer League begins tomorrow, Saturday, the Pacers and other teams will be in Las Vegas in less than a week. It's nonstop. So a lot to cover on this podcast. I'm going to try to make it a rapid one as well. where I cover a lot in a short amount of time. Things are always evolving, always changing. I actually recorded my interview with Jared Weiss earlier Friday night. And as we wrapped up, the news of Jalen Smith committing to the Pacers Got out. Well, then we're on to that. And so now on my own and recording this at about 1130 on Friday night. Hopefully not too much changes over the next day or so. By the time you listen to this, I hope you all have a nice July 4th and long weekend. We're all focused on the NBA here and free agency. By the way, Friday, the Pacers held their first summer league practice, their first opportunity To see those draft picks, who I'll get into here in a bit. General consensus from that practice, though, that it was positive, that it was upbeat, and defense continues to be a priority. Ronald Nord, he's the head coach of the Summer Pacers, an assistant coach on Rick Carlisle's staff. He's emphasized defense a great deal. So to New York I was last week, and that was for the NBA draft. I was there for a couple of days and the draft is ultimately held once again at Barclays Center. I keep wondering, when are they going to move it around? When are they going to maximize both interests, television coverage, and also you know just eyeballs in different cities, throw parties? Um, I also would love, quite honestly, to see them move the second round to the second day because first-round picks need more attention. And on top of that, if there's trades, when there's trades... You need the broadcast to have ample time to discuss those and how it impacts each team. I went back and actually watched part of the broadcast. Did not think it was very good. Too much giggling, not enough breakdowns of why a team maybe made that pick and how it impacts them moving forward. Would have loved to see, for example, J.J. Redick on there um, and some of those and more of the insiders. I think it was laughable how little you use a lot of those guys that are breaking the news and I assume it had to be troubling for some at home when those that are active on social media, like myself, you're scrolling through Twitter, you're seeing it. You know, ten, fifteen minutes. Who is getting drafted before it is announced? For me, that does not ruin it. It makes it more interesting, more exciting to follow along and know who is going where and the dynamics that go into it. Um, we're all doing that certainly at the draft. Here's one thing I haven't mentioned. I wish I had more time to really get into this, but. On the draft, something silly happened. So instead of that like ESPN ding when a new pick is up, inside it was an advertisement. The jingle for State Farm played instead. You know, the, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Not the ESPN thing, but that. I was like, oh boy, we're selling everything, aren't we? Anyways, before the draft, I got in fairly early. I think it started about 8, 8.30. I was in there by 4. That was when we were first allowed inside. Went around, took some photos, kind of got my feel for the grounds. And, man, I would love to see the Pacers host the draft. They could absolutely do it much better. Don't think that will really probably be an option because I totally get why they do it in New York. Players get out there three, four days in advance. They might do some fittings for their suit. Uh, they're certainly meeting with media uh, a couple days ahead of time. Agencies will have stuff out there. They'll do a big dinner the night before. But in just in terms of logistics and running the draft, I was all over the place. I would love to look back at how many steps I got in because there was media on the floor. There was media on the third level. You had to take an elevator only. Then to talk with the players, you had to go back to the practice court. Just a lot of different hoops. So in fact, the interesting thing for me was at the time I really didn't have a good feel for what went down with that Knicks-Charlotte-Pistons type trade in 12-13-14. I was underneath waiting to talk briefly one-on-one with Benedict Matherin, the Pacers' first-round pick, and I'm just seeing text and tweet updates and then on Twitter, and, and people aren't exactly sure who's going where, only that a trade went down. So that was very interesting, but all along I said Benedict Matherin, was going to be the Pacers pick if he was still available there at 6, and what do you know, he absolutely was. So I was not surprised at all by that. I thought it was Chris Duarte last year, Benedict Matherin this year, based on people I had talked to, what I had seen, coming in for workouts, how they were treated, uh, conversations that they had done and had privately, and then their characteristics and what the Pacers have been after over the last couple of years, obviously. And so with Benedict Matherin, forget what he does on the court. The number one thing that I am impressed and enjoy about him is his perseverance, what he's had to overcome, losing his brother when he was 12 years old, hit on a bicycle riding home. So he's inspired by him. That's Dominique. He also kind of goes by Domic's world and Domic's, uh, so you'll see a lot of that. But with Benedict Matherin... What an impressive guy. First of all, he speaks four languages, which is remarkable, including French, Spanish, and Creole, I think it is. So the guy is a smart dude. He loves basketball as well. Pacers want more gym rats. That's one thing they did not have enough of. Guys like Tyrese Halliburton, like Buddy Heald, Lance Stevenson, guys that you got to kick out of the gym. All right, you've had enough. Get out of here. Like, (laughs) you just don't have that with so many guys. Like, I think about you see some of the guys, they come in for practice, they put in the work, go home. There's other guys that will come back, get in a second workout, or if they have a bad game, go back out on the floor and get more shots up. But that was one big priority for the Pacers, find guys that love the game. The other thing, athleticism and shooting. He obviously checks both of those boxes, can probably play the two and the three Within Carlisle's offense, I think it's kind of silly to try to project starting lineups, but I have been asked about that by several fans already. In my opinion, it'll probably, at least as of today, lots could and probably will change. But as I see, it would be Halliburton, Matherin, and Duarte, O'Shea Brissett, Miles Turner probably are your starters. That means you're looking at what? Like a group of T.J. McConnell and either Buddy Hield or Chris Duarte, whoever does not start along with up front, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, for example. And then they need wing help, and there's a few options there on the wing. That's probably what you're looking at. But again, lots, I think, will change here in the coming days. But Benedict Mathern, the guy they had targeted for some time, that's not just front office speak after the fact. They were very high on him all along. I do believe that they did try to move up and look into Jaden Ivey at that fourth spot, but they just felt it was too cost prohibitive. I think they were very interested in Keegan Murray and would have seriously considered him at 6, but obviously Murray off the board at the Kings at 4, which makes a lot of sense for them. And then Jaden Ivey to Detroit at 5, which kind of surprised me only because I, I heard bad things about, in general, how Jaden Ivey interviewed and also that he maybe didn't have the greatest work out there. I combined that with kind of a subpar postseason tournament right where he kind of played passive didn't think he was in attack mode as much did not carry his team as much as i'd like to see but man they're young and there's so many things that he possesses that very few individuals in the league do so there's a lot to like about them and it was cool to see him be able to celebrate his mom neil ivy who i was a ball boy for the fever when she was drafted and and was employed by the team, I should say, for two or three years. And the ironic twist in all of that was the fever GM at the time was Kelly Kroskoff, now the Pacers assistant general manager. So they know him very well. They had a Zoom call with him in the week leading up to the draft. They also had a Zoom call the day before the draft with Kendall Brown, who they acquired the 48th pick from Minnesota to go and get Kendall Brown there and I think he's a guy that has a lot of intangibles, defense, athleticism. He's got some height to him. He can play the three and four spot. You got Andrew Nembhard, who was drafted ahead of him though, at thirty-one. Kind of surprised the Pacers did ultimately keep that pick, the first pick of the second round. It's a point guard, a pass-first point guard, a guy that gets his teammates involved. He really impressed me and got on my radar during the draft combine. Had a minor injury. I think it was a hamstring strain. Missed the first game, but was so mad and frustrated that he missed out and wanted to play. And again, this goes back to what I said. Guys that love the game and that want to perform here. Well, yeah, he wanted to play and was outstanding. I want to say he finished with like 15 points, 9 assists. And that's even more telling to me because on top of that... You're playing with all new guys. There's very little familiarity. And you look back at those highlights at the draft by which I was at, by the way, and that's thanks to great Fieldhouse File subscribers who help not only pay my salary, but pay for me to travel in order to cover, cover this team. That's an aside. Anyway, like Nembhard, his personality very much reminds me of Malcolm Brogdon. Calm, cool, deeper voice. Um... Very much in control. Now his game, I think, much more different. I think he gets others involved better. Maybe a better passer. So that's something Pacers like in his game. They don't need as much of a shooter as a facilitator. Although, he can do both there. So it's Benedict Matherin, Andrew Nemhard, and Kendall Brown. One thing that's odd to me is Benedict Matherin wanted number zero. It's weird to say number zero. But that's taken, obviously, by Tyrese Halliburton. So he had to choose another one. So he's going with double zero. That's Boomer's number, isn't it? What are we doing there? But the Pacers' backcourt won't look the greatest when you have zero and double zero, but that's what it will look like. After the players were drafted and they shook the hand of Adam Silver, and by the way, Matherin obviously, and Kendall Brown were there. Kendall Brown not invited in the green room, so he was up in the stands just like some fans, but after they that all went down, and by the way, Matherin, it was interesting, The after each pick, Barclays Center played a song that related to the city they were going to. So they played the Jackson 5 going back to Indiana for Mathern, which I thought was really cool, and captured that in a video. I went back, on and again, on that draft TV coverage, you didn't really hear that. So uh, that was another thing that was different, being there versus being on TV or wherever you may have consumed the draft. Normally I'm at the Pacers practice facility where they have it set up for us media to be kind of an Cubicles, basically what it is, while a couple portable TVs are set out, we got a pizza brought in for us, and that's how we normally watch it. But because the Pacers had their highest draft pick in thirty-four years, pick six, and so much was going into it. And also you kind of could narrow down who it might be. And that for me that was Ivy, it was Murray and Matherin. And at six, Matherin was most likely, and that's ultimately what they ended up doing. But after the players were drafted, then they do countless number of interviews. They posed for something special in this kind of like disco ball area. Then they were brought back to the practice court where they conducted an interview, and I thought it was notable for Matherin. He was asked several different questions in a foreign language. I believe it was French, but it reminded me of Luis Scola, of some of the former foreign players, Jan Mahimi and now Benedict Matherin, who's just, it really impresses me how they seamlessly go from English to another language, back to English, and It's no big deal. It's just clicking. So that was impressive. Uh, Wrapping up some of my thoughts on the draft so that they would go back, I was able to talk one-on-one with Benedict Matherin. And then later, uh, the day after, I found out in talking with Matherin that, get this, Tyrese Halliburton was with him the night before the draft. They were in a hotel suite inside the Westin and Times Square at New York. And how about that? Uh, What I found out was Tyrese Halliburton has been in New York City – for that week here he's big into nfts and such and there was an nft nyc conference going on so he did that for a couple days and then made a point he's represented by caa so he went to go see jaden ivy and uh, wanted to introduce himself in case ivy was drafted by the pacers and then uh, matherin and Halliburton got connected and into a hotel suite while matherin was getting fitted for clothing and such and It was great in talking with the stylist who was in there. And he was basically like Halliburton was asking me to ask Matherin, where do you want to play? What do you think about Indiana? Is it a good fit? And, well, they called it. They were hoping for Indiana, and that's what they absolutely got. And so the day after the draft, Matherin, along with Kendall Brown, their agents, and uh, some Pacers employees, they caught a private jet to Indianapolis. I had to... Catch my flight, and by the way, it was canceled initially. I had to rebook, change airports, go from LaGuardia to JFK. I know it's a a challenge right now traveling, and many of you listening are probably traveling perhaps for July 4th, but that was interesting, and then I was able to make it back. They scheduled a press conference in the afternoon, and it didn't start on time. Andrew Nimhard arrived separately, but when they did arrive, it was the most elaborate introduction I've seen for a draft class this is all by design this is all a a new era i think if you will for the pacers
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member
0: FDIC. And what they did there was they had team employees line the path to the parking garage, and then the players exited their tented-out SUVs and got in the back of a pace car, an Indy 500 pace car. and They rode on the back of that, got applause, and that was their introduction to the practice facility for the first time as Pacers players. Then, once inside, things did not stop. Had all kinds of chairs set up. I'm like, Who, what is this for? There's usually you know, about a dozen of us media folks. Well, that wasn't for us. They invited all of the team employees up. So the room, which was the two practice courts, was packed. There were several hundred people in there. And so they were in there uh, to fill the room, to show the team support behind them and on top of that, it was a little quirky in that they were clapping during the press conference, and, you know, you could tell Rick was a pro at this. He was like, hey, let's introduce these guys, and then, hey, by the way, there's Jen, that's Benedict Matherin's sister, and we appreciate their agents, let's recognize them. Very smooth by Rick. You guys may not notice that, but he gets everything he's doing out there. And the other thing is afterwards, after the press conference, the players took photos as a a group photo with Team staffers, and that was a little bit different as well. We were then able to talk with them one on one as well. We tried to get Kevin Pritchard, did not, but I did get Rick Carlisle for a good amount of time, and we talked on a, about a number of things. Some he couldn't answer, like how T.J. Warren's doing, and he some he could, like Jalen Smith, and you know he was drooling about trying to you know get Jalen Smith back and the real opportunity the Pacers have, and they were able to do that. More on that. In just a bit. But after this all went down. They all. uh, Then made the trip down the street to St. Elmo's. For the shrimp cocktail. We were down in the director's room. They allowed for media members. To follow along and experience with them. If we didn't have boom boom boom. All these events. I'd actually have time to write about these different things. And I still hope to. Because I thought that was a unique experience. That was a little bit revealing. About this direction of the franchise. After having some shrimp cocktail, uh, walking through the wine room to Peyton Manning's room, uh, and then up and out the back door. That's where an IndyCar driver greeted them, introduced himself. He's from England and uh, talked about driving. He asked, you know, what's the fastest in a car you guys have driven? I swear Benedict Matherin said 160, which I (laughs) laughed at, first of all, if that's true, and second of all, if you'd admit it. However, then he was like, well, we normally go 220, but... Records are at 240, and Benedict's like, wait, what? Are we going to get up to that? No, you are not. And then they each got in the back of one of those pace cars once again, headed down to 16th and Georgetown, and got to experience the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the first time. Pure Indy, right? Like, they had the Pagoda set up for them with Pacer logos and their names. They had the scoring pylon set up specifically they took laps around the oval. Their families took laps around the oval. Uh, they went inside the road course as well. Had the opportunity to kiss the bricks if they choose to do so. Big day. I'm sure they enjoyed it, but that was probably uh, the last thing they wanted to do. 24 hours after being drafted, you know, these are young guys—19, 20, 22. They want to be partying. They want to be with their. Friends, They want to maybe just be low-key and celebrate with family. That was an awesome, cool experience, but I wonder if they were really able to soak it in being the first day that they were in Indian and officially part of the Pacers franchise. Now, to get into the present, as of the day of this recording, which is July 1, no idea where this summer is going, by the way. Pacers season ended in mid-April. All kinds of draft coverage in May and June. You had the draft last week. Free agency this week, and for the pacers, it was very quiet the first night. Nothing happened for them. There was over a billion dollars agreed to on for players across the league. i thought it was interesting. Some deals are always tweeted out immediately, like six o one as if there was actually a true negotiating period. That's kind of the dirty little secrets across the league that yes, it's technically tampering, but it's not going to be enforced and most of which doesn't much matter unless you're changing teams and things like that or a trade is involved. And we saw this past year, uh, right, Pacers had the last pick in the second round. And by the way, they moved that to the Milwaukee Bucks. I forget if I've reported that or put that out there for a million dollars in cash considerations, uh, that 58th pick. But there was no pick 59 or 60 because a couple teams lost that second round pick due to tampering the last time around in free agency. All right, to July 1, and first full day of free agency. Things were relatively quiet initially for the Pacers, and then they were able to finally swing a deal with the Boston Celtics. And keep in mind, that's telling. It's Brad Stevens, the president of basketball operations. So he has an affinity for the Pacers. He follows them closely, knows how they operate. There's only been three executives in his lifetime, Donnie Walsh, Larry Bird, and now Kevin Pritchard. He saw Malcolm Brogdon. He saw a guy that can defend, can attack, is a veteran, is 29, is focused towards winning championships, and he went and got him. And I like it in the fact that he will not have to be depended on so much. Does not have to be, you know, a top two score every single night. Should not be playing 35 or 40 minutes per game. In fact, will probably come off the bench. If that's the case. This guy who had you know a sore Achilles throughout all of last season, I think you're better off. And the Pacers, able to move off the final three years of his contract after they gave him a contract extension the fall before last season. Now for the Pacers, I wish the package was a little bit more impressive. I thought it would be a little bit better. I think they were hunting for a late lottery pick in the draft. Did not get that ultimately. That would have been sweet if they were able to do that. But Brogdon easily was worth at least a first-round pick. And that's the one thing they did get. They did get a first-rounder. It's Boston's. But keep in mind, they just went to the NBA Finals. They're poised to probably be a top-three team in the Eastern Conference. So don't plan on it being very much. You know how we joke about T.J. Leaf? I think he was pick 23 and you didn't get anything. Well, this pick's probably going to be worse. Pick 25, 30, now, if you're drafting well and you need to hit on, you know, one in three, one and four of these, that's impressive. And even more so, maybe you package it. Right now, because of this, they'll have three first-round picks if things go to plan. They'll own the Cavs, which is top 14, lottery protected, and the Boston Celtics. And so I, I do expect the Cavaliers to make the playoffs and thus not be in the lottery again, and the Celtics, obviously. The Cavs, one thing that does help their case for the Pacers with that pick is the fact uh, they did re-sign, bring back, or are going to, reached agreement with, I should clarify. Because, no, nobody has signed right now. There's a lot of reporting out there. This player has signed with. No, cannot sign with anyone just yet. You're in the moratorium period. But Ricky Rubio agreed to a deal with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and one thing the Pacers could swing if the Cavaliers are interested and both parties make it work Could do a signing trade where the Pacers, you know, maybe they get a second-round pick or additional assets or a trade exception for doing a sign-in trade with the Cavaliers for Ricky Rubio. All right, so back to that deal. You get the first-round pick next year. You get Daniel Tice, who's owed, what, $8.5 million for a couple more years. You get Aaron Neesmith, who was a lottery pick in 2020. So it's interesting. The Pacers now have three... 2020 picks kind of all there in a row. You had Jalen Smith, who was the 10th pick, Tyrese Halliburton was 12th, and Aaron E. Smith was 14th. He really needs an opportunity. He needs minutes. He did not get that in Boston. So I view this, too, with the Pacers, if he stays around, as a place where maybe the Pacers saw him and goes, hey, look, it's a lottery pick. He didn't really get an opportunity, a lot of depth in front of him. If he comes here, we give him minutes, and it's not in a pressured situation, maybe he becomes something. That's one thing the Pacers look for in trades in addition to draft picks. They also got Juwan Morgan, who you might be familiar with because of IU. Nick Stauskas, who played in the Big Ten as well, but he did at Michigan. He's also TJ McConnell's probably best friend or one of his best friends. He also has already been dealt to the Pacers before. I think real fans will probably remember this. This was back in 2019 in a quiet deal, kind of a relatively meaningless and and something that doesn't impact anyone outside the team, picking up a second-round pick in 2021 for taking on him. And I think it was Wade Baldwin in a salary dump, which allowed the Rockets to get under the luxury tax. And then they also got Malik Fitz. Uh, Who knows Among these, if more than a couple of them, if any, stick around. We'll get into a lot more of that in my conversation with Jared Weiss, who these guys are, what to expect with them. But this deal, this agreement with Malcolm went down on Friday afternoon. Malcolm talked with Jared, and I thought it was interesting how his tone shifted, how he talked about his goal as a championship. Well, here in Indy, I think it was about establishing himself, proving that he was a starter in the league, proving he was a point guard, in the league, that he could get his, that he could be a 20-point-per-game starter. Yeah, he absolutely could. Trouble is, you couldn't count on him for about 20, 25 games per season. That's the biggest knock about him. I Personally, no problems with him. I don't think he was the leader that some made him out to be. The locker room was not great just in terms of leadership and accountability. Too many nice guys this past couple of years. I think that's another reason, by the way, I really like Benedict Matherin. He's going to piss some people off in a challenging way, but then they're going to go out and win a game. Or they're going to have that fire lit underneath them at halftime that they badly needed maybe during games. Or he doesn't allow for them to get torched in a fourth quarter or manage like eight points like they had happen in a couple quarters. That's what you want. You want more of those dogs. Um, and Benedict Matherin's one of those guys. Malcolm, too much of a nice guy. Too much played behind the scenes. So he moves on. His contract is off the books. Officially here in probably about a week or so but then again this is when this was happening as i finished up recording with jared pacers reaching agreement with jalen smith how about that guys i estimated that the pacers probably had i don't know less than 20 percent chance of getting this done. maybe i thought too highly of jalen maybe this means league executives want to see more that they think this is a blimp in his radar that Jalen you know, took advantage of a good situation, and I mean that positively, that the Pacers were losing to the last season. They lost their last 10 games. They needed bodies out there. Somebody's got to score, and maybe that was him. But if he could be able to play more minutes at that four, continue to knock down the three more often, man, I really like him. And if anything, two-year deal during rebuilding years, and at a cheap price, by the way, and this isn't necessarily the Pacers' fault. This is Phoenix's fault. And I'm sure you're probably aware, but to recap briefly, Phoenix declined his third-year team option. That's rare, especially for lottery picks. I just do not understand it. But they did so. Therefore, when trading him to the Pacers at the deadline uh, for Torrey Craig, as they did, uh, which also allowed the Pacers a little bit more cushion uh, revolving around that luxury tax, which obviously you don't want to pay in when you're not competitive. But those restrictions apply. So the most the Pacers could offer Jalen for one year was four point six seven million, and for two years it was nine point seven, and so on. I, I detail all those. Numbers at FieldhouseFiles.com. I did so in March in a story basically saying this is why it's unlikely they're able to keep him. To the Pacers' credit, they kept playing him. They didn't stuff him on the bench or try to hide him. He kept playing, and he produced, and now he's getting rewarded, and so are the Pacers. So it kind of works all around. I'm just shocked. I thought Jalen would probably command about $8 million per year at minimum. I thought he could pick up three years, 24, two for nineteen. Something to that extent clearly did not. I'm not sure you turned down 19 to take basically $10 million. So this is good. Both sides are motivated for that relationship to work. And talking with Rick Carlisle during the player introductions for the draft a week ago, very high on him. He said he's a very important piece to us. He says we really want them back. He says they had a good relationship. And it's obviously up to Jalen because Pacers were going to make that offer. That's a no-brainer. But... For them to do that, for him to agree upon it, maybe sat on it for a few hours overnight, thought about it, waited to see the market develop, and I think you saw what Marvin Bagley was able to get. And TJ Warren, by the way, is still out there. Uh, Nothing with him, and and Jalen elected to return in a comfortable situation uh, where he knows he still has a lot to prove to himself, and he still has a reputation to elevate, I think, a little bit after not doing too much in Phoenix, but in large part... That was because he did not get much of an opportunity. All right, so I brought up T.J. Warren. He's still available as of this recording late, late Saturday night. I've been baffled by his whole situation. They are almost too quiet. The Pacers, his agent, his friends, about his situation. Just trying to call around, get feelers, get some kind of update. Finally, I go, you know what, I'm, I'm going to try this one. So I called David West a couple days ago and was able to get an update from him. David's happy to talk. Uh, So we talked for probably about five minutes about him, what he's up to uh, trying to establish a a league where they could play players as well. Uh, But more than that, especially about TJ Warren and his situation. He says he's healthy, uh, that he's focused on surveying and seeing what kind of opportunities he has, and we'll see. So right now, TJ Warren, he's available. I just don't see the fit. It all comes down to that. Do we really want to go back down that road? of having more injuries and having to report on that and you know how much is he available. Remember, he had this injury to his left foot. It kept him out of 150 of 154 games. Several years ago, he had the same injury but to his right foot. So he was great for one season. Uh, I think it's best, so for the Pacers to move on, even if you could sign him to a cheap, prove-it-type deal. Two other former Pacers still available in free agency, and these two players will probably have to wait A little bit longer at least. And talking about Edmund Sumner and Lance Stevenson. I think both fan favorites. Two players fans really got behind, appreciated, and wanted to see succeed. Both unique situations. Lance, of course, came back mid-season this past year and wants to finish his career here. He wants to continue playing here in Indy. And he would be willing to accept that he's not an everyday guy. That he's more here for experience, some leadership, Uh, Some emotional support to update the vibe, to get fans engaged, all that type of thing. Uh, But he's also not that old. He still has a couple years in front of him of playing, if he would like to. Uh, I talked with him in an extended conversation. That Q&A posted this week on Fieldhouse Files. An even bigger story that I worked on was one with Edmund Sumner. He has not talked since his injury last September. One day... They were playing open gym, and he got a pass from T.J. McConnell he was sharing, made one dribble, one move towards the basket, and he thought one of the new guys tripped him. He looked back in disgust as he fell, and no one was even there. No one even close. He was going to have a wide open flush at the basket, and he knew right away torn Achilles, which is one of the worst injuries. You do not want it. But I was pleasantly surprised that he had an incredibly strong rehab really strong like no bad days according to him he was grounded not doing anything for two months back on the court in four months dunking lightly obviously and is already back up he says he's 100% he's cutting attacking driving playing one on one three on three he's young I would still really like for him to get an opportunity and hope he has a full bill of health but I really encourage you to check out my story with him it's a long one Make a cup of coffee, sit down, and take your time with it because he got into so much with me during our hour-long conversation at a Starbucks in downtown Indianapolis. He didn't even have time to get a drink. He was too locked in on talking, and his voice was racing because I think he had so much that he wanted to share, that he wanted to get off his chest. And also, it's talking about yourself. It can be difficult, but at the same time, He wanted people to be able to empathize and to understand all that he has been through, the hyperbaric chamber, um, being able to only dribble, uh, trying to watch basketball but getting discouraged and turning it right back off, those type of things. He did get paid for this past season. It was the final year of his guaranteed contract, but now he's a free agent. The other interesting story that I will give away on this show, I thought that was interesting, was during his final year at Xavier, he realized he tore his shoulder. About 50% torn, an MRI revealed. So he was going to have to have surgery. He got that checked out, was setting up for surgery in January in New York. That same week, his team, Xavier, was scheduled to play at St. John's, which is at Madison Square Garden. So he goes, eh, you know what, let's do that. I want to play at MSG. I want to be there for my guys. I want to play, and no matter what, this will be my last game. And you know what, that was the game. Six minutes left in the game. He tore his left ACL. Just in a bad way, a remarkable story in that like he didn't need to be out there. He was going to have season-ending surgery anyway. He was already going to go to the draft. He had made up his mind. That pushed him over the edge, obviously. And now he's had left shoulder surgery, left knee surgery, ACL, and left Achilles surgery. But by all accounts, doing well, and he says he's feeling the best that he ever has. So check that out at fieldhousefiles.com all right several other things here to wrap up i know this is a longer episode longer than i would like and that's because i just did not have time this past week to get one about the draft I Had so many stories uh, to write, including those big features on lance and edmund i wanted to get out before the start of free agency all right so what's next and with miles I think it's something that you're always going to hear his name. You're going to continue to hear his name floated, mentioned. and That kind of goes both sides. It's teams mentioning him, agents pushing things out there as well. I don't believe the Pacers are wanting to get rid of him, desperate to get rid of him, eager to move him. I don't believe that's the case. And Miles wants to be here as well. One thing I'll give him credit for is he's kind of gone dark, gone silent, and quiet on social media. I told, I've told i told him this for several years, um, especially a guy of his stature, getting paid what he is, and the things that people mention and discuss. There's times during the season I would just get the heck off and focus on himself and enjoying a summer too. But with Miles, I don't think it's a, a foregone conclusion that he's backed, but I do think the Pacers are not trying to necessarily shop him. More so that they would be willing to listen to offers. And again, if you see what Gobert is getting, Rudy retrieving five first-round picks, four futures, including uh, then this one from this past year. Yeah, of course, if Pacers were able to get something even close to that, if they could get, I don't know, two first-round picks, I think you're doing it, both for his sake and for the Pacers. Miles was used to getting the playoffs. He was used to having success early in his career. He has not lately. He's had three different head coaches here in the last three years like the rest of the team. He hasn't experienced the playoffs. He probably is thirsty to experience the playoffs once again. Forget even winning a series, which he never has. He'd like to get back to the playoffs. He'd also like some league-wide recognition. I don't think he'll ever truly get that here in Indianapolis. But to his end, he's got to be healthy. He has not finished the last couple of years. So, there's a lot there for miles by the way I did get a health update on him and t- what do you know I reported that on field House files this week he's hundred percent healthy now remember he dealt with a foot injury stress reaction in January diagnosed with that did not play another game the rest of the season so it's the fewest amount of games that he's played in a season for his career but he's home in Dallas he's is hundred percent healthy. Uh, not 100% back to you know game shape and where he was. As it was told to me, he's still trying to find some rhythm after being out for so long. But you can go to even some Instagram videos to see how he's doing. and So all of that is encouraging. And I think Rick Carlisle is planning to go down and visit him there in Dallas. Where, by the way, Rick still owns a home after coaching there for 13 seasons. Those two plan to meet up, assuming Miles is still on the team here. I think that, again, just comes down to what offers are out there. How about DeAndre Ayton? Pacers f- first seriously looked into him at the trade deadline. They were looking and considering moving miles for DeAndre Ayton, not Sabonis. Ultimately, when they were able to get Tyrese Halliburton from Sacramento, that's what put them over the edge and willing to include Domus in a deal. I think the Pacers are still interested. They could feasibly um, sign him outright, Could also swing some kind of a sign-and-trade if they choose, especially if you want to send Miles back that way as well. A lot of different options there. And, again, this all goes back to the Pacers having that optionality that Kevin Pritchard talked with us about at the draft combine. All right, so, again, I just still don't get what Minnesota's thinking, giving up essentially five first-round picks for Rudy Gobert. For what? Like, he's not getting you wins in the playoffs. This will be a good regular season move. It might help you have more stability there. It might help you move up a couple spots in the standings in the Western Conference. But me, I really like what Utah did, and now you're seeing Danny Ainge completely overhaul that roster, hire a new coach, give him longer than normal deal, five years for a first-year head coach. Remember Nate Bjorkran, He only got three with a team option in year three. So that goes to show that It's a rebuilding situation around, presumably, Donovan Mitchell. Although, again, I think if there was a sweet enough offer out there, I think they would have to be enticed by that. And finally, to wrap up, just a quick thought, rant. The NBA's got to spread out this schedule. And again, on Saturdays, you're probably listening to this. There's free agency. It's a week after the draft. And you're still learning about these draft picks. I didn't really get into them too much here. The Pacers, three draft picks. Um, There's summer league practice going on. Yeah, the first one was July 1, Ronald Norad coaching. Didn't really get into that too much. The California summer league starting up. First games on Saturday and games going on during free agency. By the way, all while agents have to negotiate deals for some clients, free agency, and also some rookie deals. Negotiate for their first round picks, but especially their second-round picks. I'm very interested to see what the deals look like for Andrew Nimhard as well as Kendall Brown because they can get creative. Those are not set, you know. whereas we already know basically what Benedict Mathern will make. First round set into a scale. The others are not. All right, many of you have probably waited for this conversation. Want me to get into it? what are the Pacers exactly getting in that trade with Malcolm Brogdon to the Celtics for five players and a draft pick? For more on that, I'll bring in Jared Weiss of The Athletic in Boston. All right, as promised, to learn more about this deal, I go to a friend of mine, Jared Weiss, who covers the Celtics in the NBA for The Athletic. And Jared, it's an interesting deal for both sides from the Pacers' perspective. They were looking for a little bit more for the Celtics. My early reaction for that is I feel like Brogdon's games is being a little overhyped Right now, when it all comes down to will even be on the court, that's the issue the Pacers have had with him for the last couple of years. Your thoughts. It's
1: like it's pretty much as simple as how good is their medical uh, information on him, because from a player perspective, the Celtics only the only thing they gave up that mattered for them is a first round pick next year where they're going for the title. So they're planning on that pick being 28, 29, 30. So they're fine with that. Although they are punting on the first round for the third year in a row. Brad Stevens hates first round picks, apparently. Um, but yeah, so I think that's something
0: should... for my audience that's interested in. Brad Stevens, who loves evaluating, loves getting to know players. All right, never mind. I'd rather go and get them rather than draft them. So that is a telltale point.
1: Well, credit to him. He used the first round pick to get Al Horford, then the first round pick to get Derek White. And those were like two of their five most important players in their in their finals run this year who were absolutely instrumental to the team. So it seems to be working pretty well. And then they get another two way, you know, good leader, consistent guy, at least as far as his performance on the court, consistent guy. Um, And then like humble, quiet guy, like all three of those guys are very quintessential Stevens-esque in that manner. And Brogdon is another one of these guys that just, like, fits that bill perfectly, and he gives them exactly what they need. They need a good playmaker who can score for them, who can really just kind of create the offense entirely and supplement a lot of the playmaking responsibility for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum when they're getting into those second units. Cause like we saw like a huge part of why they lost the finals was they would get into these lineups where it's like Peyton Pritchard, Derek white and Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. And those, those lineups just died. It was a lot like what the Celtics were a year ago, back when Tatum and Brown were really struggling to make them even a 500 ball club. So they, they bring, they just, they infuse so much Capable on ball play between this Brogdon deal and the Gallo deal, which they're signing Daniela Gallinari with their tax bid level. So they didn't take away at all from what they're able to do, or they didn't take away at all from the talent that they have at the top of the roster. And like bringing in a guy like Balcom Brogdon, who you know at times was the best player on the Pacers over the last couple years, to bring him in as like your seventh man or sixth man or whatever it is, because they just they just paid a huge price for Derek White to be their sixth man. So like Balcon Brogdon's like their seventh man now, like that's a Pretty incredible move for that to only be a first round pick, but as you can tell me a lot more about, there's a clear reason why the price was that low, and it's his health.
0: Yeah, it's health. I mean, basically, and it's not just even with Indiana, it went back to Milwaukee, and even before that, with the draft, that's why he was that second round pick because there was a lot of questions about his foot and such coming out of the University of Virginia. So when he was on the court, That he did really well, 20 points per game, distributed fairly well, not nearly as we are now used to with Tyrese Halliburton, and that's why they wanted that more of a (laughs) facilitator, get other guys involved. Malcolm's plus side is, though, that he can attack, he can create, get to the free throw line a little bit more. But kind of what I was alluding to earlier, Jared, that I was laughing about is I saw a lot of people, national and college writers, like, my goodness, this is a steal. Malcolm can do this, this, and this. He's an excellent locker room guy. I'm like... All right, there's some truth in all that, but I think the biggest point in all this, first of all, is he's got to have his health, and second of all, he's got to accept not being a point guard. He is not a point guard. He's not a true playmaker. I think he can attack and draw defenses, but I wouldn't necessarily classify him as a playmaker there, but just kind of laughed. One thing I asked him, Jared, about was after, not this season, but the last, is I go, I know you came in, you were hell bent. On being a point guard from Milwaukee here to Indiana, are you good with being a two guard? Or are you a point guard? And all he said, and this is telling, a man of few words. I am a point guard. That's it. So I think, and we can get into this as well because you talked with him here today. As of this recording, is uh, you know, maybe he accepts that later stages of his career that you don't want to disrupt what a finals appearance type team did in the Celtics. Let me add to it here. And on top of that, what's going to be really good for them and him specifically is he does not need to be depended on for so many games. I mean, the workload, the usage rate, all that does not have to be as high because keep in mind, this past year he was nursing a sore Achilles all year long.
1: So I think the most telling thing that he said in my interview with them today was he said, I'm looking to win a championship that's actually it. In the past, I've worried about stats and numbers and all that. I'm going to Boston, and I'm not worrying about that. There so, you go. I, I think that's. I, I I should have asked him like, do you specifically think you're a point guard? Like, can you say yes or no? Do you do you require to be uh, starting? Because he like he I, he made it clear when I was talking to him, uh, kind of like off the record, like he doesn't. Um, like I don't think he is coming in here expecting that he's going to be given some sort of like huge commanding presence within the organization. He really made it sound like he's looking at this as he's coming in to be a part of what worked so well for them last year and be that missing piece. And, you know, when he talked about, he talked about like, like he feels like he could be that piece that gets them over the hump. It was when I asked him, I like, I specifically asked him when you were watching the Celtics in the finals this year and you were seeing them going through these like huge slumps offensively, what were you thinking about? How, I guess not at the time where were you thinking, but like, what are you thinking in hindsight of how you could add and and fix those situations and he was like yeah i can be the one that comes in there and just slows everything down make sure that they get a good play make sure that they get the ball to one of the jays in rhythm and that was the thing that the celtics kept talking about over and over again during their playoff run about how they need to be able to do those things and stevens brad stevens when he was talking after the draft he was saying like we need someone that can come in and help kind of compose our offense, but not lose the pace that we play with. Cause we're all about moving the ball quickly, pinging the ball around, getting driving kicks, and then turning the ball you know over and over and having that flow. And so, I think Malcolm just kind of fits their ideal of what they're looking for. And he could still kind of uphold that value. And that was something that Derek White was like a huge part of really instilling. And that's why like they traded Josh Richardson for Derek White during the season was Richardson was playing well, but he's more of like a slow decision maker, more of kind of like a kind of like, you know, kind of glide through the game type of player. And they needed someone who could just kind of like really just push energy into the into the play and like make quick reads, get off the ball quickly And I don't know if that's necessarily what Malcolm does really well, but Malcolm at least plays with poise and force, and he can be someone that can really get into the teeth of a defense while keeping himself on two feet and keeping his shoulders up and making those reads. And that was just the big thing that the Celtics were missing. Like They could play with speed, but they couldn't really play
0: with composure a lot of the time. With Brogdon, and this is probably the last we need to talk with him be- about him, because I know, honestly, Jared, and I don't know if you feel this or could see this from Boston. The general consist- consensus with Pacer fans is they were over the guy. They're relieved that he's gone. More than they care, I think, about the return. And it's not necessarily about the guy or his production. It all came back to 54 games, 56 games last year. Now, in fairness to him, he probably could have played the last 20, but it was better off. He didn't, but he only appeared in a career-low 36. And to his end, I think, maybe he saw I was so close to a championship in Milwaukee, and then I left and they won. I came here to Indiana. We haven't sniffed out a playoff series, missed it the last couple of years, changed coaches several times. He's a mature guy. Basketball is not even close to everything for him like it is others. I can see him going, hey, look, I'm 29. I'm, in a, I'm getting paid. I'm good with money now the rest of my career. Let me get – and obviously he didn't have control over this. The Pacers did. But let me get find a situation where, yes, I might have to take less of a role. But guess what? I can be happy I can win while getting paid, and he's, he's getting all of that right now.
1: In his like kind of first long answer of our conversation, he did make sure to say the Pacers are really good at facilitating a deal and sending me somewhere where I can win, and he was really appreciative of how the Pacers handle everything. And so you know, I asked him, like, how long have you been hearing that this was in the works? And he said three days. Uh, but like we know, he's been this like this has been happening for a while. Not necessarily this deal, but Correct, right. when he signed that extension before last season, everybody kind of knew that he, as soon as that extension was over, he was probably back on the trading block. And then when the Tyree steal happens, it's like obvious that he's on the trading block at that point. <laughs> and you know, I remember. When I I was there working on a bigger feature for the Athletic on the Miles Turner situation and their overall situation, and I I asked him like quickly after I interviewed him for that story, like, "Do you want to get traded? Do you want to be out of here?" And his his answer was basically like, "It wasn't like, no, I'm I'm committed to Indiana. Just signed a deal." He was like, "I'll do whatever." Like, he Remember like, that's him whatever. being
0: presidential and not answering the question. Exactly, I get it.
1: But but he could he could have said, no, I'm committed to the Pacers that just signed extension. But he's like, whatever,
0: Mm -hmm. man. And
1: and, and to be totally fair, I don't think he needs to say that because he's been on the trading block forever. Yeah, I think, you know, his I think a reasonable answer for him would have been I know what I'm worth. Whoever wants to play me, play me because I'm going to contribute the same level. And he's always been really good when he's out there. The the only thing that you're concerned about is he has a reputation as a good shooter. He's an elite free throw shooter. But he's had two years in Indiana bookending his time there where he shot terribly from three and then the one in the middle where he shot great. So you tell me, why is his shooting so inconsistent from deep?
0: I think it's probably more than anything how much he's been dependent on. Like he's had to be the number one, number two guy. And there's just been an influx of players. Like the stat I love to pull out, Jared, is the fact that the Pacers had 30 players under roster last year. They had 25 wins couple guys never even played a game like T.J. Warren. And so those almost, to me, you just throw out because it was such a bizarre last couple of years between Nate Bjorkgren, Rick getting here, the injuries, on again, off again. How's Malcolm doing? He's feeling 100%, but wait, he's not playing. A lot of that was strategy, I think, in some part about the bigger vision. And, yeah, looking back at his extension, the funny thing to now consider is I asked Rick, like, is it nice to have Malcolm your point guard and have his contract align with yours and get this Jared <laughs> now, given he's been in the league 20 years, he knows the game too is he goes, what's today? And I forget, you know, it's Tuesday. Yeah. Or I'm just worried about today. I'm going day to day. So oh, that's I'm not a classic worried. Rick answer. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I was like, Hmm, interesting. So he, maybe he's not all in, maybe there's other reasons to do this. And, and it does make sense in large part because, would Boston be trading for Brogdon if he only had one year under his contract? I don't know about that. Perhaps, but...
1: I think so, because yeah. what's good about that one year is he's not going to get paid really much more than he's currently getting paid if he hit the market with his injury history. And that way, if he does have more injury issues, at least they're not tied down to his money while you know they they just brought on... Uh, you know They have so much money already tied up into Derek White... And Grant Williams is eligible for an extension, so their tax bill is already going to be through the roof. They're really committed to paying a deep luxury tax over the next few years. When they're then, I presume, hoping to extend Jalen Brown if they don't trade it for Kevin Durant, or who the hell knows what's going to happen yeah. in the next couple of days. <laughs> but, right. um, but like I, I think brogdon it's it's a, there's a lot. I think there's more risk in having him tied down to a long term deal as he turns thirty with his injury history than there is not being able to lock him down. All but, right. Um, you know, I, I think that at the end of the day, the Celtics are just looking to guarantee a title next year. While Al Horford should still be good, good for and that. Al Horford going for is going to sit a lot throughout the season to try to save his energy before Rob Williams gets hurt again. And hopefully the injury with Rob Williams isn't substantial because Rob Williams, for all the times he's been hurt so far in his career, it's never been, unless I'm forgetting something, What where it like knocked him out for a whole year. It's just been lots of like mediocre, like kind of like severe, mild injuries, basically, like very Malcolm Brogdon-esque type injuries, basically. So I think they're bringing in Malcolm thinking like we can win the title right now with
0: Brogdon on board they almost won it this past year without him and you go back and the turnovers I love the stat you know if it was over 15 they basically weren't winning the game so that was something that I think outside observers could watch I know you're short on time so help educate Pacers fans who knows if any of these five players are going to be here I don't think you should count on former IU player Jawan Morgan T.J. McConnell's best friend Nick Stauskas and Malik Fitz but Daniel Tice, Aaron Nismith, what's going on with their careers at the moment?
1: Sure. So Tice is still capable, but he you know, he started off solid for the Celtics when he first got back. Um, or I guess he just, I just, say he found his rhythm in the regular season, was looking closer to the player he was two years earlier when he was like a pretty good starting center, and then he just really fell off the playoffs just couldn't really cut it in the playoffs, just did not have the bounce. Did not it was just he was a step slower. And so, you know, he he'll play for Indiana to some degree. I don't think he's just gonna be completely out of the rotation, but he's really just a placeholder for a year. The other guys, like I could see Jawan Morgan or Malik Fitz at least like getting training camp invites. Maybe they get a chance to sneak onto the roster. But it's really Aaron Neesmith is the interesting piece. And Neesmith is he was a, he was the 14th pick in the draft two years ago. And he came into the league supposed to be like an off-ball sniper, and he just completely lost confidence in his jump shot. And he he's been struggling with that the whole time. He talked about it after the season in his exit interview, saying, "I need a mental break from the game for a couple of weeks to so just completely recharge or reset myself and find that confidence in my shots so that it carries over from the practice court to the game." So if he gets if he starts hitting his shots, like he's a clear rotation talent who is still very young because he is a great athlete, plays with a ton of energy. They call him crash in Boston because he's literally just crashing all over the place diving for loose balls. I think he's the kind of player that if he finds a shot, they're going to love him in Indiana. And he's definitely going to be like he has if he's if he gets to being a knockdown shooter, he has starting potential. That's like that's how much energy and athleticism he has. That's the defensive potential he has. Like he he has these games where he just completely locks up like huge players. Like when he was a rookie, he shut down Kyrie Irving for like two quarters. It was shocking to see. So, he's had these brilliant like these flashes of brilliance, but they are just so infrequent and he got such little opportunity in Boston. So, Indiana is the exact kind of situation for him to have a chance to kind of get his career back on track cuz he needs game reps. He just could not get game reps in Boston. He needs to go somewhere where he can take 6, 7 shots a game and just start to find a rhythm again.
0: Yeah, to his shooting, looking here, 37% his rookie year, fell off the map to 27% in basically the same amount of attempts. And so there's open spots for the Pacers out on the wing to be competitive. To me, I think he's the most intriguing player in this piece, maybe the one that could stick, because I'm not so sure Tice will necessarily still be here. I could see them offload that even as well, because right now, Miles Turner, Goga Pataza, who I admit, Probably should be on the move, and Isaiah Jackson. So, uh, you know who among that group makes a lot of sense. Isaiah Jackson, I think, is the only surefire thing. And right now, I sure. still believe Miles will be there, but it all depends. I think on if any great sweet offer is made out there. And Unless my they goodness, trade him for DeAndre Hayden. could be, or they could sign him outright. But also, if they're getting a haul like they, and we don't need to get into this, but what Minnesota for Rudy Gobert? Oh, God. My goodness, that's a whole different conversation. Basically, five. Draft picks is what you're looking at. But with Neesmith, maybe a 3-and-D type wing, ideally, if things pan out. But also, he's a guy I think the Pacers could view as did not work in that situation, kind of like a Sabonis, maybe, or a Oladipo. Let's get him into our environment. Let's try to give him more opportunity. And maybe then he turns into something. I think that would be the best-case scenario for Aaron.
1: Yeah, the hope is he's like a Danny Green, where he was just somewhere where he couldn't get opportunity. I mean, it's different because Danny Green was like an undrafted guy who just needed the second chance. Like, this is different. This is like a guy who has all the talent in the world, but just needs to have get over that mental hurdle and then get the chance to actually get his reps in. But you could see him turn into that type of player. I mean, Danny Green was a pretty great player, so it's that I wouldn't quite go to that standard, but he, he's definitely he definitely has NBA rotation talent. There's no question about it.
0: Anything else we should know about any one of those five guys? Or is that just about cover it there?
1: <laughs> Honestly, like the Celtics the Celtics brought in like, <laughs> six or seven guys later in the season, and they I did. barely even paid attention to them. They barely played. Yeah. There was too much going on with the top ten of this team. I didn't even bother. So,
0: And I was stunned yeah. they brought in Juwan Morgan. Obviously us here in Indiana follow him at least a little bit, and I was like, what's the point of adding him so late into the season? And I never did get a good answer on that.
1: They've had him in before, and then you know let him go. And I think they were that it was very clear Stevens's moves late in the season were to bring in familiar faces. They brought Luke Cornette back, who they just resigned again to like a non-guaranteed deal. So I they, they they like to bring back guys that they've had in camp earlier. So that made sense there. I guess one thing is if Malik Fitz makes the roster, he is an epic celebrator. Like he really. He's that classic 15th man who just makes it crazy on the bench. Is, you know, popping out of his chair, hilarious celebrations. He's going to be a real gift machine.
0: For so them. maybe if Lance isn't back to bring out the air guitar, maybe it's Malik Fitz. We'll all have to oh. wait
1: and see there. He's got a whole orchestra there. You want an air <laughs> sousaphone, air grand piano, air xylophone. He's got it all covered.
0: Goodness. I appreciate it, Jared. Thanks for the insight. If people haven't checked out, you're one-on-one with uh, old Malcolm Brogdon, and uh, we wish him well, but I, I don't think he'll miss being gone from Indiana either. But, Jared, thanks for the time, and uh, we'll keep following along. I'm Whew, what a day. Went over an hour on this podcast. If you made it this long, tweet me. Let me know you are a loyal listener of the Fieldhouse Files podcast. But best place to find all my work is on the FieldhouseFiles.com. Subscribe and You don't have to seek out the info goes directly to you, to your inbox, wherever you may be. And that's probably especially resourceful and nice right now when maybe you're not on the grid. Maybe you're checking Twitter less often here during the July 4th holiday. But I appreciate all that made it this far. And I will talk to you again soon here on the Fieldhouse Files podcast.